Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I'm joined by talented gunsmith who just so happens to be my brother, Kurt Martonic. Uh, we're going to go through, last week had part one of the bear hunt. This is part two of two, and we're going to go through the rest of the hunt, which includes the success stories of my brother's Mountain Miriam's gobbler, and then also the story of actually what happened with my black bear and how we were able to capitalize on that on day six of the hunt. But in addition to that, not just going through the stories, but we kind of just went back and forth on the lessons learned with being new to bear hunting, um, what gear we used, going through different, some new items, some old items, what worked, what didn't, um, just kind of our impressions on different things and really everything in between there. So uh, I hope that uh, you enjoy this episode here uh, with Kurt. Uh, There will be, uh, once again, not a, a Mountain Buck Monday story this week. And this week, it really became, since... I know the podcast releases here on Tuesday, but the post goes out on Monday on social media. And I just, with it being Memorial Day, I didn't feel that it was was right to to do a post uh, about that, and and instead just uh, being able to honor all those that have given the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I, I think I think a lot of people will say that and share things about it, but to me, I mean, I really truly. I'm thankful for the men and women who do serve this country, who have served this country and have given the ultimate sacrifice or not. I mean, just in general, I am a big supporter of the military there and thank you to everyone that's involved with it. But so long story short, there was no Mountain Buck Monday post yesterday and story on this week's podcast, but I promise it will be back next week. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. 
All of Maven Optics have a lifetime, no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top-of-the-line heavy-duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck-owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top, so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that so if you head over to airbnb and search elk crossing getaway in the pa wilds you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house send us a message an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here then we'll get you 10 percent off of your first day i do have some other news for you so i'm gonna be giving away a prime bow uh, so the Prime Inline 3, I'm giving this away, um, and there's a few ways that you're able to to be able to, to guess, get entered to, to win this bow. So the Prime Inline 3, that's a bow that I'm using for my Western hunting setup this year. Uh, as you know, I've been shooting Prime bows since 2018 when I worked at an archery shop, and I love Prime bows. So I'm giving one away, the exact replica of the one I have set up, it'll it is a 70 pound bow, but the draw length can be adjusted. Um, so I'm, I have that already at my house, ready to send out to the, the lucky winner. So to do this, to get entered in the giveaway, you have to sign up for my email list on the website. Just so it's simple, eastmeetswesthunt.com. Little pop up comes up, hit subscribe, put your email there, automatically entered. If you're already signed up, you already have one entry in for this bow currently. So I wanted to make sure that if you've already been a loyal subscriber there, that you've been entered. Another option to get an extra vote is to sign up at my booth at the Total Archery Challenge, which is this weekend, uh, June 2nd through 5th. I'll be at Seven Springs. If you're there, you can sign up in person, get an extra vote. There'll be some other little ways that you can you can uh, get additional votes by purchasing apparel and other things. But let me be clear that you do not need to buy anything to be entered into this giveaway. And the last way that you can 
that you can get an additional vote here is to subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. But if you do do this, make sure in that review that you leave your name at the end of it or if you have like a username there, whatever, just so I know uh, who who left that review instead if it's just, uh, you know, Mountain Hunter. Uh, I, I'm not going to know who that is. So if you put your name in there that so when it gets entered in the count there, <laughs> that I can make sure that I account for that. So pretty excited to, uh, to give away that Prime Inline 3. So check that out. Um, let me know if you have any questions. Hopefully that was straightforward enough. But uh, basically sign up for the email list. I really appreciate it. I'm not going to spam you. I just send out a weekly uh, newsletter with what's going on. And that's really about it. So thank you for that. Um, and other news, just like I said, I'll be at the Total Archery Challenge this weekend. So if you're in the area, stop by. Love to chat, hang out. And I hope that everyone has a great rest of your week. All right. We're live from Kurt the Gunsmith's uh, gun shop, I guess. Yeah, it's just my little uh, home workshop here. Not really doing any uh, side work, just all personal stuff. But Yeah, no, just... Um, just finishing up the bear hunt here. So sitting here with my brother, Kurt Martonic. And so for, for those of you that are listening, we do have a video portion of this over on my YouTube channel, just under my name, Bo Martonic. If you really want to see us sitting here, having a couple drinks, looking at, uh, some Miriam, a Miriam's Turkey fam beard and this pretty cool looking gun shop that you got here but if not if you, our faces are too much then just continue listening to the audio version i guess yeah for sure so we um we just got out of the mountains i guess yesterday and finished it up so last week on, on the podcast went through kind of the part one of the bear hunt and this is going to be part two so we uh, and, and it was a little bit jumbled, so I apologize if you're trying to follow along here, but Kurt was there for the beginning of the trip and the end of the trip, so we're kind of going to cover some of those portions, and I purposefully, uh, with the podcast with Gary and Trevor, skipped out on the beginning of the trip because neither of them were there, but um, you and I were from, from the beginning. So, Kurt, how did you um, – I'll, I'll have a full podcast coming out later that goes through kind of Kurt's background with moving out west and all of these different things and and his gunsmithing background but i wanted to start out with when when did you start bear hunting when you were out here uh, i did it a little bit last spring um and i didn't i had a little bit of i didn't have any luck as far as filling a tag last year but i was seeing bear most of the time it was sows with cubs which you're not allowed to legally hunt in the state of montana or shoot anyways um, so I did a little bit of spring bear last year and that was kind of my first year. Uh, I never got to do it as heavily as I had wanted, uh, just because I haven't been able to set aside like a full week. And I feel like that's kind of what you need by the sounds of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it seems like we just say anything else. It takes you a few days to even kind of get your bearing straight. And in the springtime, the things are changing constantly, whether it's snow levels, whether it's things greening up and what you see one weekend is going to be completely different the you know, the following weekend, which is exactly what we experienced, you know, on this trip and going out. So what, what were some of the things that you picked up on right away when you, when you started bear hunting from then till now and some like kind of key things that stuck out to you? Uh, one, I'll, I'll say this mainly for the people that are coming in from out of state, uh, 
living here, you have a huge advantage, but uh, the weather is like, you can't really set aside a week and expect it to be the same. I mean, this same week period of last year, we had had a month of 70, 80 degrees. And this year it was, I mean, the day we left, we had almost a foot of snow dumped on us. Yeah. And, and I think temperatures were in the teens with 50 mile per hour gusts. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, so you can't really, can't really plan on it that way. I'd say if you had to pick a week, it'd be the end towards the middle to end of May, towards the end of the season there for a lot of the units. Some, some parts of the state you can go till through June a little bit, but, um, I'd say the main things that really stick out is you just got to spend a lot of time behind glass. Um, I've tried the hiking around a lot part and it's just, I feel like finding good glassing part points that aren't necessarily super far in the hike to where you can cover a lot of ground or kind of the key so that if there isn't a bear in that area, you're not spending a ton of time there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could definitely, definitely agree with, with that. Was there anything, anything else as far as things that you noticed they liked or things that you were particularly looking for when you were, you know, glassing some of these spots? Uh, the one, when I was finding bear last year, cause I didn't really get to hunt them until you guys got out here this year, just because, uh, busy schedule. And then around where I live here, uh, we've had a lot of snow. So yeah still up into this point but um the one thing i noticed is like everybody always talks about they're in the greenest spots but i feel like most people neglect to say about talking about rock faces and stuff like you it might not look like a green patch of grass or whatever but you'll see them picking through the rock faces and all that and it also seems that when you do find them in the spring it tends to be like they're a little where they hang out in the fall as well uh for example, last year I was watching a sow and two cubs up at this one spot. And, um, when I went back there in the fall, I was hunting elk and deer and right below where I saw that bear and her two cubs, there was just fresh bear sign all over the place. It looked like they lived in this really small, steep Canyon and just kind of would bed down there during the day or whatever and go out yeah. and feed around there. So it seemed like they kind of stayed in the same spot for the whole year. It's interesting. Um, I'm sure they, obviously I'm sure they travel a lot, but that seemed like their core little area there. Yeah. And, and, and the rock face thing was interesting because I had heard that, but I wasn't really sure why until you actually got to see it and you go and you flip those rocks covered in bugs. Oh yeah. Ants, all different. I, I don't know exactly what bugs are eating. I, I don't know enough about bears to say that, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of legs that are crawling around underneath all of those things. And there's grass that you don't typically see that are kind of sprouting in between it too. And some flowers and other stuff that seems to be appetizing to them. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will like to preface all this with saying I'm not an expert bear hunter by any means. It's just like me kind of getting started. No, no, it's just it's just observations and kind of what you're picking up on. And what what I've learned too is like newer hunters or you're not a new hunter, but new newer to bear hunting. Like when you're when you're new to a specific thing, you pick up on things that people that are have been doing it forever just kind of take for granted and don't think about. Yeah. Um. And I, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, and that's. That kind of goes back to that finding those glassing areas that don't expect a. I don't know. You can pack in really far, but I think if you're coming out here the first time or doing it the first time, I think you should focus on spots that are within a couple miles of your vehicle that you can cover and sit for a while and move on to the next area if it's not what you expect. Because using Google Earth to scout, 
snow levels can be completely different from year to year depending on the week you go out there as we saw even from the yeah. beginning of the week to the end of the week how much that snow changed yeah it, one thing that i thought was was pretty helpful i think brady miller did yeah it was brady did a uh, video on e-scouting um for bears and one of it was like trying to find the elevation line like they're not gonna be super high most unless it's you know later in the year and things green up but there's like a he's found like this key elevation point um this was specifically for the state of montana so it can be different depending on where where you're at but it was like i think it was like 5500 to 7500 you know foot and i marked some spots there and actually one of the spots that uh, as we'll get to in the story here that that i killed my bear in was one of the areas that i had marked from e-scouting um based off that band and also but it wouldn't have worked for the first few days that we were here. But as that started to green up, those were the first areas that greened up. And the last spot Gary and I spent time at was another area like that. And that was the only green section too. So it was, it was some good information uh, with that. Because there's not really a whole lot of bear hunting information out there. No. And I, I don't know if it's just because like everyone just does the same things or if just people aren't talking. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think it's from my... From what I've seen, there isn't a ton of people that are really hunting them out here. Um, even like the guys that I know that I grew up here and have lived here their whole lives, they just like, they don't really look at spring bear hunting as something that they do. You know, it's, it seems like it's a lot of the people that have moved here that are doing it or I don't know. And there just doesn't seem like there's that much pressure. Well, and I think uh, well, also you guys as a resident of Montana get like 19,000 tags. Yeah. We so a lot. <laughs> you don't need to, right? Yeah. You're even saying that your freezer's pretty full. Like you weren't really that worried about killing a bear. Yeah. Like, I, last year I was kind of, I wanted one a little bit more because we didn't have much in the freezer, but this year I'm like, do we even have room for one right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's, Which, yeah, it's obviously a good good problem to have. Yes. But um we, yeah, so like we we went in um so kind of breaking down how uh we looked at the areas and stuff and and you know, you gave me some ideas of some areas and then I I had talked to uh a bear guide that's out here, Brandon Purcell who I had on the podcast a couple months ago. And he was kind of talking to me what types of things to look for, not, you know, specifics, but just things to look for. And then when I was e-scouting, I was, I was on uh Spartan Forge's beta version of their web app and, and I'd found this mountain range in this area. And it was actually an area you've been to, um, before with our, our buddy, our mutual friend, Tim. And so, and that, and then Tim ended up being camping in that area at the same time. And, and so we got to meet up with him and, yeah. and go camping and, or the hunting, but camping together and stuff. So it was, it was kind of funny that, you know, based off of some of that, that e-scouting, some of the areas that we picked and it was, it was a pretty cool mountain range. And, you know, t- I, I, from what I've seen, it looks pretty similar to a lot of the mountain ranges in Montana Yeah, and you kind of have the, the private ground, you have the foothills, then you have the mountains. And it's kind of like that section yep. all the way across it which is a little bit different than what i found like in colorado or somewhere else it, i think idaho is pretty similar to that too yeah the mountains here are definitely because we lived in colorado prior to this and they're definitely different and i don't even know how to explain it they don't seem like quite as drastic at least in our part of the state um and it just seems like a lot more possible to get over ridges yeah. like some of those places in colorado it's like yeah i don't have cliff I don't have any kind of mountain climber gear to get over that. We're here. A lot of them seem like transitioning those ridges isn't that 
that impossible. Still difficult, but yeah. Well, there's no, uh, there's not the altitude. Yeah, the elevations are definitely a little lower. I mean, what was uh, some of the highest stuff in that range we were at was ten, I think around ten, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. So it wasn't eleven. Wasn't crazy. I mean, it's it's still steep. Like, don't get me wrong there, but having the it's yeah, still it's a big difference steep. from starting at ten and going to yeah. twelve or thirteen. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely a big difference. So that was that was pretty. Um, it was pretty neat to see. I, I enjoyed not being at that high elevation. For anyone that lis- listens uh, for the podcast for a while, knows why. But um, but we went in and we wanted to do a truck camp set up, go in, set up camp and make it like a deer camp, you know, make it feel that way. And, and that's what we did. And it was pretty cool. We had, uh, my, I just got the seek outside courthouse. So I had that big, basically it's like a lightweight wall tent. It's only 12 and a half pounds. Had that set up. That was the first time I'd used it. I always preach about like testing gear ahead of time. Well, we had it shipped directly to your house cause I didn't, it wasn't going to make it in time. Um, so I never got to, to use it prior to, um, but it was pretty self-explanatory on setting that up. Yeah. And I tried to set it up for you beforehand to kind of get an idea, but anybody that knows the area where I live, uh, big timber area knows that the wind blows all the time and doing it by myself in the amount of wind we had those couple of days was not, no, it wasn't happening. <laughs> no. And then you had this little, you have a little canvas wall tent that you bought, uh, from a buddy of yours out here. It's super small, but pretty cool. It's a lot yeah. heavier, obviously than my setup. Um, takes more, uh, floor space up, I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. In the truck anyways, but, uh, mine is a eight by 10 and with three foot sidewalls. So you can't quite stand up straight in it, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's a comfy, especially when you have one guy in there with a wood stove, it's a comfy little setup. Yeah. Cooking there, all that, like, and it's, uh, does pretty well as far as bucking the wind and everything, but yeah. So we had, we had a really cool setup kind of at the base of the mountain. Um, and then Tim and his uh, buddy Dustin that were camped next to us there, they had uh tarp kind of going over their setup. There's look like a old school, old school hunting camp. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty sweet. They had a, they had a, I'm going to explain their setup real quick. Cause I thought it was, it's pretty practical to anybody that has like the backpacking style tents, Yeah, but wants to kind of do a truck tent setup. Uh, they just had a monster tarp strung. They used a toe strap or a ratchet strap between two trees, kind of made like an A-frame and tucked it under and had their tents inside there. And it was a really good so that they could get out if it was raining or snowing, get out of their tents and everything was dry. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, re- I like their setup a lot. It was uh, very practical. Yeah, it was it was a it was a cool setup. And um, and let's I guess let's just talk a little bit about some of the other aspects of the truck camping uh, thing, like the cooking setup. This is, this is an area that I have written down. Like when I go through hunts, I write down things I want to improve on And mine is the truck camping cooking setup. One, I didn't plan for food very well Two, I, I don't have my own, like, you know, stove set up or anything there. So that was one thing I, I think that you have pretty dialed and you did commit to writing an article for, for my website on it. So yeah, we're holding will. to it. Yep. So yeah, the, the cook setup for truck camping. Um, uh, me and my wife, when we lived in Colorado, we were camping just about every weekend, and we found that it was the stuff that would make us not go camping was like trying to get everything together before going. So you had to make it easy, you had to make it quick, and best way to do that is get it all into one tote. You know, and I, I love totes for that reason. Like when I go camping or whatever, I don't have to think about it. I just grab 
toiletries and whatever tote that has toothbrush, toothpaste, ibuprofen, wipes, toilet paper, all that stuff in it. Then you have your cook setup, which that one has, um, I'll go into a little more detail on it, but basically everything you need to cook um, so that you're not forgetting stuff. Because we've had many times where we got out there and we're like, we don't have the adapter that goes to our stove for the propane bottle, <laughs> like, or don't have any oil to cook whatever in. So, um, but that cook setup for me, it's a little tote. It has all my pots and pans in it, has paper plates, um, has forks and spoons, um, the oils, seasonings, cutting board, knives, um, just about everything that you, literally everything you need. All I need to do is grab that in my stove and we can go cook wherever. Yeah. And having it like that makes it super easy because then it's one less thing that you have to think about prior to going out hunting. Yeah. No, that's, I, I definitely learned from that aspect and, and I've been trying to do that like with everything when it comes to camping is like having, you know, even like you have your sleeping bag and all that kind of stuff, like in your tent, like have all that stuff in a certain tote, like all your sleeping arrangement stuff. So that again, you're not creating more work for yourself and yep. leaving room for forgetting things. Like I'm a big list guy, but you can still forget things that way. But when you have it as a tote and when you get home, make sure that you clean everything and yep. restock the things that you used. So when you go next time that you're in a good spot. Yeah. And having a system like that, instead of having a list with 40 items you need to remember, you can have a list with four or five totes you need to grab. Yeah. And if they're labeled like that, cause I do the same thing with my sleep setup, like, yeah, I forgot a pillow in the second part, but that was the pillow doesn't fit in with that. But it's uh, <laughs> I have a bag for my sleeping bag, sleeping pad, all my blankets for my wall tent setup. So it's I just grab that bag, throw it in there, and I know that I'll be that in the cot. I'll have everything I need. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was a pretty pretty good setup. So talk about the, the your cook setup exactly. What what is your cook setup, um, and why do you use that that way? Types of pots and pans, that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, I have a two burner stove, um, and that is it's an Everest. I can't remember Camp the Chef. Camp Chef Everest. Yeah. Um, so it runs on the little green propane bottles. We're going to switch to one of the bigger propane bottles soon with a longer hose, so we can just keep that pro- propane outside the tent and uh, run the, route that hose in there. Because we also have a little space heater that runs off that that actually heats the tent pretty well if we need to, if it's not getting to the temperatures we had this weekend. Mm-hmm. But uh, that little stove, um, I will say with the two-burner, it, it is nice for some things, mainly breakfast, but I feel like most people could get away with a one-burner one stove, and it saves a lot of table space when you're cooking. Yeah. So just something to consider. Um, the only time I've ever used two-burners, really, is when I'm making coffee and breakfast at the same time. Yeah. And and I think that I, I I really I think I'm gonna look at the Blackstone options that uh, Dustin had his camp set up because I'm I'm a big breakfast guy so it's nice like you have this you know pad there that you can just toss everything on your bacon yeah. your eggs all of that different stuff he was cooking up chicken on one side vegetables on the other for dinner and kind of doing it that way I thought that was a cool setup too but that camp chef version that you have is just small packable even though you said you know. It's a two burner, it's a little bit bigger, but it's still pretty small. Yeah, it is. Um, For sure. You know, all things considered. And then you had like a little foldable table that you had to, to set up. It fits in your wall tent, but you also can pull outside and stand up the legs higher to be able to cook on and everything. Yeah, and that, that table is great. I think I bought it at Bass Pro Shops. I don't know if they still make it or not, but it's a 
Yeah, the, the legs that screw in in the bottom and extend it to a higher height. So if you're standing up using it, or you can have it kind of like coffee table height mm-hmm. without those extensions. Um, that fits the stove perfect on there. Could be a little bigger, but you could always you're always going to want. Every time you get a bigger table, you're going to want you find a way to fill it up. I mean, yeah. As a man, most of us know that if there's a flat space, we're going to find a way to fill it up with stuff. Yeah, throw <laughs> but, stuff on it. But uh, yeah, so then the pots and pans. I have like a, it's a Stanley cook set. But it everything nests inside of it. So it's you have your frying pans, your big pans, like if you're going to make chili, and then you have your saucepan, stuff like that. Uh, it has scooper, tongs, all that that fit inside of it. It closes around it, and then it's like a nice – it fits inside that tote. Because before we had a couple different pans, and they would just always move around in there, and it's like – you had to pack it and repack it three or four times to get everything to fit in that tote. Yeah. And that's just, that's annoying. Um, one of the other things I'll say is instead of having a bunch of loose stuff floating around inside that tote, either Ziploc bags or Ziploc containers for that stuff. So always have a can opener because the time you don't is when you grab some sort of sauce or whatever you want to use and you don't have a way to open it. Yeah. And you're stabbing it with your knife. But uh, like putting all that stuff organized throughout that container really helps out a lot yeah no i th- I, th- I think you had a really dialed setup there and i was uh, i definitely uh want to improve my setup there i th- felt like everything also like said packed away nicely so that when you've even you're using you're not even using a truck you have a, a toyota forerunner so space is definitely um you know you need to take advantage of the space that you have yep. and i thought your setup was pretty good for that yeah, definitely. And uh, one more thing to note on that quickly, uh, we didn't really do it for this hunt just because I, I felt like pretty unorganized too going out on it. But food-wise, take that same application and put it towards camping food as far as pre, like if you're going to use peppers and onions for what you cook, chop them up at the house and put them in Ziploc bags in the cooler. It takes up less space. And then also you don't, that cuts that one step out of it when you're cooking. You can just dump that half bag of onions on there and. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought that's, I think that's a, a really good setup. And then we had some around camp, we had some camp chairs. I brought my one Yeti camp chair that I had and a couple other cheap foldable chairs. You had one and we had that just to kind of hang out back at camp. Um, you know, because bear hunting, the mornings are pretty slow. Um, and the advice I was given was get back to camp at night. Cause you get back late. Cause it doesn't get dark till like nine 30 at this time of year. Yeah. Um, get back camp late, cook your food up, you know, have a couple beers and then sleep in a little bit and go out, you know, mid to late morning basically to hunt, which we did a little bit of that and a little bit of mixture. But, um, so anyways, having something comfortable around camp is, I think is, is a nice option. And in our wall tents, uh, we had cot setups. Uh, you actually bought one for me or picked one up for me prior to it. It's just a Cabela's one that sits up high enough that you can store bags underneath it. Yep. So like I had my Sika drifter duffel and everything packed underneath there and my Yeti Panga with gear and stuff. So it doesn't take up floor space in the wall tent, but it, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to have that in the organizer pockets on the side. So how many times you go to bed, take off your headlamp, your keys out of your pocket, you know, all these things, and you just toss them wherever, and then you can't find them, but putting them in these little mesh pockets on the side that kept me organized. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, I think before going out there a lot, I mean, you can definitely get away with just using a sleeping pad, but your, your wall tent that you had or the seek outside courthouse, 
um, as you saw, there was plenty of room to be elevated off the ground. Yeah. And having a cot like that to save space and touch or stuff everything underneath it is, it saves so much space. And a lot of that stuff, you're only going to pull out here and there to grab one or two things out of there. It doesn't need to have its own real estate in there. Yeah. And I mean, that courthouse was, I was very impressed with it. Yeah. (laughs) I liked it a lot. It was sweet. And the other, the other thing to mention about having a cot is I still always bring a sleeping pad to throw on top of it because you want to add insulation, especially when it's cold. Yeah. Um, And with just having that mesh there, you basically, you're compressing your sleeping bag. So there's no insulation and that cold air is coming right up from the bottom and you're, you're getting hammered with it unless you have that sleeping pad with some insulation to it. Also, if you sleep on your side at all, like I do, uh, it helps a little bit. It's not going to completely get rid of the dead arm when you're sleeping on it, but yeah. it helps the pain, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that I do with my cod is I have one of those, those, uh, foldable foam thermarest pads. Mm-hmm. So it's not an inflatable one, just saves setup time and all that. And it's quieter, which is a big thing for me. Like my backpacking pads a little loud and it annoys the heck out of me sometimes but and then i throw a one of those old army wool blankets over it and that adds a little bit of warmth yeah kind of holds some of that heat in which is which is nice i have not i've yet to be cold on that cot with the setup i'm using so yeah no that's that's a good good thing and i actually justin when he was here i had him film a video of going through like my setup and a little bit of yours not much but just like going through some of that so there will be a video that comes out showing some of these items but um yeah, so that that helped out a lot having all that stuff and and having that floorless shelter, you know, with you know both of us having the wall tent set up. So you walk right in there with your boots, sit down on your cot, take them off, throw your Crocs on. Crocs are staple to Crocs truck are camping. Staple. Yeah, so that was um, that was really really useful. Note on the floorless, like with especially was it Friday morning when we got all the snow. When you're, that snow is just packing on your boots, if you had a floored shelter in that, it would have been pretty oh. miserable. <laughs> Everything would have been soaked. Yeah. Yeah. You walk right in because it just packed on onto our boots. And we'll, we'll talk more about the story of that. But like, yeah, that was a, a big, a big thing. And, and also having the room in those tents, like when weather does get bad or you leave for the day, you can stuff all your stuff inside there. Yep. You know, you don't have to throw it back in your vehicle or whatever. You can stuff it in your tent. And that made it, that made it really nice. My, um, so like uh, while we're on the topic of kind of like lessons learned, one of the other things that this is my first time going on a trip without my truck cap and my deck system and switched over to using the diamond back cover with um, the Yakima bars and my tent on top, which is a sweet setup. I, I just need to figure out a few different things as far as like I bring extra gas and water and I was having to basically stuff that inside the truck bed. I need to find a way to mount that on the outside. Cause it's something that doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be inside the truck bed, the stuff that can be on the outside and figuring out a way, whether it's like the roto pack systems or something to make it, make that uh, a little bit easier. But yeah, I, I was pumped at that setup. I talked about in the last uh, podcast, but you weren't there for this Kurt. When after we got back from backpack Turkey hunting, we got back that morning and I was so tired. I just climbed up on top of the diamond back, but it was still nice out. And there was like a breeze that would come underneath my tent there. So I have a rooftop tent with a nice sleeping pad, but I slept on the hard diamond back cover underneath. But I was just like basically laid out in shorts and no shirt and put a pillow up there. And I took a little nap. Yeah. Cause you're in the shade from that tent. That'd yeah, be nice. It was, it was, it was really nice. So it was, but our, our camp setup, I felt like it was pretty dialed. Yeah. I, I was, I enjoyed that part of it a lot. Com- a common thing said around camp that week was, uh, 
I love spring bear. Yeah. Because it was that those lazy mornings and everything and just kind of, you could sleep in. Like, I felt like sleep wasn't really a, wasn't an issue on this hunt. No, no, it was not. We, but with that being said, we were still covering a lot of miles. Like my, my Garmin watch was tracking it and we were doing anywhere from eight to 14 miles a day. Like we were covering some ground in that late morning to the evening. But if you look at, okay, so first light was like four thirty in the morning. Yeah. So you get up, you have to say you get up at three thirty or three to start hiking to get to somewhere for first light. And you get a couple minutes of seeing those bears before they go back into their cover. And then you have to sit there all day until nine thirty at night when it gets dark that's a, that's a 16, 17 hour day. Yeah, like that's, that's a long time. And, and so really it came down to like, all right, let's focus on these high priority times and do that, which right when we started hunting, um, we'll start off by just kind of going into this, this trip and we weren't fine. There was snow up high where we thought the bears were going to be at. And then where it did melt, nothing was green yet. Yeah. And we weren't finding, I mean, we saw a few mule deer at first, but like there wasn't even any mule deer or elk feeding in that stuff except for down in the bottoms. Yeah. That's where we were running all the mule deer in the bottoms and then in the foothills of, of the mountains, you know, and then that, there was some green stuff there. So we kind of shifted our, our focus a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And that was, I, I don't know. It was a, yeah, I think we were almost, almost a week early, but I mean, obviously it worked out. I, I yeah. yeah, but no, we definitely, we definitely were for that area. Probably the right move would have been to move locations, but with me not being from there and even you not being, being able to get out as much, it's hard to know these different mountain yeah. ranges and what's looking, you know, good at that time, what you're going to find. So we, we knew we were on a verge of things starting to green up. So we decided to wait it out and just so happened at that point, uh, we were a little bit deflated because like when you, when you can't find stuff to glass and people are, other people are telling you stories about, um, running into bears down low in the timber and you can't really glass anything. And you're sitting over a meadow that's a hundred yards wide. Yeah. It's very deflating a feeling like you're not even in the game and that's difficult. Yeah. It's a difficult pill to swallow. And so that, that was kind of like, okay, let's figure this out. And just so happened at that point, a guy was walking down the road and cause the first weekend you said there's not much hunting pressure, but that first weekend there's a lot. Yeah. That first weekend there was, there was people everywhere. And one thing that I didn't notice in my e-scouting was a lot of that stuff was ATV trail access. And I thought it was hiking trails and that's my bad, but there was a lot of four wheelers that were going up and down and people everywhere. And I was like, wow, this is gonna be difficult. But as soon as you know, Sunday rolled around, people were gone for the most part. But what, anyways, what I was saying was there was guys walking um, by camp and just, there's a couple guys and they just came like kind of bookmarking over to us and uh, they recognized my truck. And, and so Eli, if you're listening here and his brother, Ben, they, uh, they're big listeners of the podcast here and actually was messaging me right before I left and said he was going to Montana and just so happened we were hunting the exact same spot. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool to get to talk to them and, those guys, those, they were younger. I, I, I don't. They're killers. Eli, I'm sorry if I screw up your age, but I was thinking early 20s. But those guys are killers. That was like their sixth state in the last yeah. month and a half, and they've killed turkeys in all of them. Yeah. And have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. 
You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. They came up to us and gave us a hot tip. They're like, hey, we found Miriam's way the hell back there. And they're like, we found some Miriam uh, turkeys. There's a bunch of them. Um, they, they were, the reason why I saw them is they came out to go get service and buy a turkey tag. Yeah. And, uh, and borrow a shotgun from their uncle. <laughs> yeah, borrow a shotgun from their uncle. And they went back in and ended up killing one. And But they said they were leaving on like, they were leaving on Saturday. So that Sunday they're like, yeah, go back in there. So you and I and Justin were like, let's head back in and see if we can find a Turkey. And, uh, it was like late morning. We got back in there. We weren't hearing anything. And we're heading back. Cause you had to go back to drive back here to go to work yeah. on Monday. So you had, and you had to pick up your dogs from the kennel and everything. So it was, uh, you had to leave and you go, I think I heard a gobble. And I was like, no, that sounds like a crow. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a gobble. Miriam sounded a little different. And then I think it was it you got in your slate call, right? Is that what did it? Yeah, well, we listened for a little bit, just kept quiet because I didn't know what we didn't call to get him to gobble. Actually, it was just kind of a stroke of luck of we stopped to take a little break as we were about to keep hiking and start heading our way back to camp. And uh, he sounded off. Um, so yeah, I tried, I think we tried the box call first and he didn't reply. So then I went and tried the slate call and even with the Yelps, he wasn't replying, but I'd started doing some like soft purrs and clucks and he just like got fired up about it. Yeah. And he wasn't that close either. Like, but I know it's like with how vast and stuff, everything is out here. It, they are closer than they sound. And if you hear them, there are kind of like, I don't know. I I would guess he's what, probably three, 400 yards away. That first gobble. Yeah, I I would have thought further, but maybe he might further, he yeah. might have been I don't know. He was yeah, he, yeah, I'd say probably four or five hundred yards. Um and then so, so yeah, so we're like, holy cow, it's like eleven o'clock in the morning at this point and it's starting to warm up. And so you and Justin went ahead, Justin had the video camera and I stayed back and I just had your box call. We just only had a couple calls. Yeah. And then after you got him fired up with those purrs already, he was already worked up. So yeah, I started was... working that box. I stayed like 50 yards behind you and that bird was just coming in like hard. Yeah. He was real picky about the call at first, but once we got them all fired up, he was like, 
anything you did, he was yeah, he was gonna gobble to it. And it was and it was cool because you set up at a good spot that you know is in, and I set up way back in the timber, so he wasn't even looking for you as he came out. And I remember I hit the box call and I heard him gobble the one time, and I was like, man, he's close. Like as I'm thinking that in my head, your gun went off, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and flattened him, which was. If you, do you have anything more to add to that? Yeah, I mean, we saw him. I my last turkey that I killed in the spring was kind of a which you heard about it on the a couple of years ago on the podcast, but it was kind of like an ambush almost. Um, so I I haven't had one of those really good turkey hunts in a while, and I mean that was an excellent one. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like the the traditional like you call they come in fired up strut and all that. Where this one, so I didn't know how, like how excited I would be, you know. I saw him strutting through the woods at like 130, 140 yards, and I was just shaking. It was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, the, that excitement's still there. And uh, so he's just fully puffed up walking through the woods and all that, and he hit this opening. And when we first set up, so the way we were set up, there's this big opening in front of us, and I kind of set up 10 yards back from where the trees, where the tree line was. Yeah. That way I could cover any of my movement and still have some shots and be in the shadows a little bit because it was sunny at that point. And uh, I did, I took my range finder out and kind of ranged a couple places. So I had these points where I was like, all right, I can get him any anywhere inside this point is within my range of my gun. And uh, sure enough, he weaved in and out and he was just about the, like where I was at, there was kind of a wood line and the, the field continued, but it continued around a bend and I would have had to reposition. So he crossed one of those points that I was, I had marked. And, uh, as he was strutting across, he was in full strut. Like I, the timing, I know you couldn't see him at the time, but the timing worked out perfect. Cause you just waited long enough to not call where he kind of like, he gobbled and he kind of stretched his neck out to kind of like look around and listen and as soon as he did that, I just, I dropped him. And it was a far shot for Turkey. Um, it was 70 yards, which is not a, not a short shot, but I, I know that sh- my shotgun very well. And I know the, the heavy shot loads that I'm using. And I mean, Justin said, he's like, I've been on Turkey hunts where birds killed at 30 yards didn't drop like that. So yeah. it was, I mean, he was, yeah, he did the typical flopping around afterwards, but, uh, he was, he was down. He was hit hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, and all the all the babies are right in the neck. I mean, you just you yeah. smoked them, and it, that was awesome. Justin got that all on film too, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I got to see it a little bit through his camera, but it was a pretty cool over the shoulder yeah. shot. Yeah, super cool. And so that was pumped. It was like eleven, eleven or something like that when you killed him, and we're like, oh, like Jesus is crazy, and like his beautiful country, and the pictures were epic. It's typical mid afternoon killing a turkey that lone gobbler gobbles and when you get him going he's looking to breed and you can he usually comes in pretty well yeah but i mean to talk about a perfect mountain miriam's hunt like we are three plus miles back yeah i think it was 3.2 or 3.3 miles back from where yeah that it was it was a ways back in there you don't you don't find people going that far for turkeys no and it was in a beautiful opening with like just what you picture for miriam's hunting you know yeah Came in on a string once we found him, Colin gobbling his head off, strutting like everything you wanted in a turkey hunt, and yeah, ended up being successful, which just tops it off. So here, if you're watching the video portion, I'm holding up the beard here, and could you want to grab that yeah, fan? Yeah, there's the, I mean, you can't, a Miriam's fan is about as beautiful as it gets. Yeah. There's, That's yeah, that white 
that white trim is just phenomenal. Yeah, that was the first Miriams I'd ever seen before, and then seeing it up close like that and all the colors on it, it's just like, yeah, it's phenomenal. And then yeah, you put it, you strapped them on the back of your pack and buckled them down and packed them out. Yeah, yeah, because there was no way I was holding them over my shoulder for three miles. No, <laughs> that's no. It gets tough over sometimes over a half mile. So. Yeah, so that 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 was cool. And then you got out and and uh, we took a few pictures and stuff back at camp. Uh, you cracked open uh, one of the big truck farmed beer that I brought out and had that and had a quick little. Uh, just quick cause you had to head back in town and, and, yeah. uh, so that was, that was pretty sweet though. That was, that I was had a good little breakfast there before heading out too. Yeah. We hadn't eaten yet at that point. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon and we we're cooking up bacon and eggs, but scramble and it was excellent. But it, that was, that was so cool because like I came to Montana bear hunting and next thing you know, I'm calling turkeys and you're killing turkeys and like it, it was awesome. I'll say, I mean, it came at a perfect time too, because we were a little disappointed because nothing was greened up yet. So we we're just kind of like, what do we do? And then that, that was a good little distraction for us. Well, yeah. I mean, we were, the way the weather pattern was working is that we were going to have a couple, three, four days of really nice weather in that warm weather we knew was going to green stuff up. So it was a good, like intermission, I guess, to yeah. bear hunting. No, it definitely was. And that, yeah, that definitely got my morale boosted and then the next part of the hunt is what, it, if anyone listened to last week's when, when, you know, Trevor came in and Gary and we started, you know, we backpacked in. So you've heard that part of it, but that gave us that perfect transition to have a little bit of a different focus while bear hunting was slow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that hunt. So yeah, that was, that was good. That was pretty cool. And, um, so then I was, I wasn't able to, uh, find it. Well, I did find one other one, but it was way out in the lowlands of private miles away and I couldn't call him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, like strutting there, but he, he just wasn't having it. And, um, then we ran into Eli again out there. He was trying to kill him with his longbow at this point. I'm like, you're crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's backpacked in there by himself. So yeah. And then, uh, you had left for, for the week there. So we're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit and go back to after the last episode, the last thing that we ended with was we found a bear. Um, and it, I, I can't remember, I think we might've said a mile and a half on that podcast, but it ended up being 2.3 miles away was where that bear was from where we glassed him. And I was just using my, my Maven B to the nine by 45 binos. I didn't even have my spotting scope on and I spotted them from that far away, which is crazy. And it was, which pr- I understand you found them kind of in low light, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that 9 by 45, 45? Yeah. Those 9 by 45s, I, I mean, I love that power and objective lens, but they do really well in low light. Yeah, those Abbey Koning pr- prism systems that's in there. If you listen to any of the podcasts I did with Cade Masses from Maven, describes the technical reason why that's good in low light. But that's why I love it. I mean, I use I use binos for spotting more than I do the spotting scope. Um, yeah. I will use a spotting scope depending on the situation, but I like looking through binos more. And Easier on your I don't need big magnification. I wouldn't mind a set of like 15s for certain things, but those 9x45s are light enough that you could pack them around your chest all day, and they're really good for giving a wide field of view, just looking for movement, looking for those different things, and, and good in that low-light situation. So Yeah which was, was pretty cool. So after we spotted that bear that next day, um, again, we slept in, um, because we're like, okay, we're not going to catch him in the morning. Uh, he's going to 
as long as no one bumps him or does anything, he's probably going to come back to that opening again. It was kind of mid-level in the mountain, in the timber, this little opening. It's probably only 80 yards wide, and he owned that opening. You could tell the night before. So, uh, And some of the other guys, uh, Tim and Dustin, were glassing. They could see that opening from one of their glassing spots a couple of days before, and they didn't see anything. And they spent a couple of days in there, but it just greened up at the right time. We hit it, and... So we went in the next day for the stock and, and Dustin had came back, Tim went to work and Dustin asked if he could tag along. He said he thought he had a good spot for us to glass from. Um, so he went in with just me and Gary, Justin had to leave. So unfortunately it wasn't on film. Um, and, and then Trevor from Sitka had to leave as well. So it was just me and Gary heading in and Dustin tagged along with us and we went up towards the top and Dustin was kind of getting ahead of us. And so he was heading to his own area and we kind of split off and went around the hill and at two o'clock in the afternoon, cause it was a, as Dustin calls a billy goat up there. Cause we were covering some like steep country and it was rough. It didn't look that bad from a distance. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was difficult. Um, so it was like 2.7 miles up this hill, kind of swerving around. We get to this point and Gary's like, holy cow, he's out there right now. Two o'clock in the afternoon. He's eating, he's laying down, he's sleeping in the middle of the meadow. And we're like, this is crazy. So we're like, what are we going to do? You know? And then we look up and we can see Dustin, Dustin could see him too, glassing from the other portion. So we're like, all right, we need to work over that way, but we didn't want to go all the way up. Um, but we didn't want to drop too much that he could see us. So we used this tree line and just went around it. We got into some snow that was no, no kidding. It was like halfway up my thigh. And then we're trying to get her out that and covering ground and, we get over and we run in the dust and we get about 550 yards um, from the bear. But the winds are heavy. There's a storm rolling in. That's why we figure he was feeding um, yeah. so early in the day that storm was Getting ahead of it. was rolling in. So, you know, we were like, okay, what can we do to make a play? And on the maps, it doesn't look like there was any place that we could get closer to him that we could see. But Gary was like, all right we got these bench systems below us of timber, but it looks a little bit sparse. So maybe we can find just that one opening that we need that we can see that and be able to spot him again. Cause at this point he kind of went back into the timber and we weren't sure if he was going to come out at all. Was he, was he full for the day and he was going to lay down and, you know, wait out the storm. Nobody really knew, but we jumped down in we're going through all the snow on this. um, I guess it'd be a westerly facing slope. We're going through and, we find this like spring seep that comes off and there's like this dead tree there and we crawl down behind it and we can look and we can see that opening perfect and arranged it in the back of the opening was 300 yards. So everything in front of that was closer, obviously. And now we're in my range, you know, Gary could shoot uh, a lot further, but uh, yeah. I was up to, I was up to bat to shoot on this one. So uh, we just sat there for, it wasn't really that long. And Gary's like, I think I see him, you know, I think I see him in that timber there. And so I'm looking, looking, and I can see black moving around, but I could never get a clear shot. It was always like in the trees. And this, this bear was playing Houdini on us. Like he, he'd come through this spot and he look, he's heading to this opening. I'm sitting there with the scope ready on him. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm looking up. I can't find him. And all of a sudden he's up here. He's in this corner. I don't know how, how he's making these moves, but it was only one bear. And he goes across and we were, we're shifting positions. Gary threw his bipod on my gun so I could get a better rest on it. And, and we're, we're, it was, it was hilarious. I really wish Justin could have filmed it and we're moving around. And then Gary's like, I found him. He's, he's up towards the top and he's, 
he's uh he's looking at us up there so so i got on the gun and i knew at that distance that my bolt was gonna drop you know four or five inches or so and so and i had gary gary's right beside me i was like be ready for a follow-up shot like we want to make sure this bear goes down like there's no no questions about it and he's like all right you know i'm ready what was the distance at that point 275 okay perfect that wasn't that was we checked that afterwards we knew it was within that 300 just a yeah. little bit in front and um so i put my scope on him and i basically put the crosshairs because he was facing me right on his mouth and uh, i figured with that distance it would hit him right in the chest based off of what my gun could shoot it's a 300 wind mag uh brigera and so i just put it on there and i squeezed off that trigger and not long after my trigger went off gary's gun went off and that bear was laying down flat. So, yeah. so what actually happened is kind of, it's kind of funny story, but so my bullet, which we found both of our bullets, we both hit the bear <laughs> and my bullet went right through the chest all the way through, found it back towards the back ham. So I went the whole way through the body and Gary's must, as the bear was falling, he hit it right in the skull. So there was no moving. Yeah. Um, he was out. Nice, clean kill. Yeah. Nice, clean kill. There was no meat ruined Perfect. on it, but but so to to go back like the reactions of it like we were just like what just happened like Gary and I are tackling each other like we were just we were going insane like I couldn't believe it and we just kept looking like at the binos again like he's dead right like he's not moving and we're like no like that's him he's laying there like just blown out of our minds and so then we grab all our stuff make sure we don't lose everything because you know I lose everything at places so gathered all my gear threw it in and. I'm just basically running for it for what reason nobody knows but the storm started blowing in it's raining pretty heavy and i i remember running across the snow that you could run across the top and then i broke through and fell and i'm laying there on the ground just laughing gary had a video of it on his phone and i was just dying and uh get up and go and then turn around and dustin's right behind us he came down off the hill he watched the whole thing happen from afar and walked up to this big boar just laying there dead and oh that was my first bear i'd ever shot you know and and it was totally you know a group effort from you know the game planning side of it and you know with you know from with you guys earlier in the trip and then trevor taking us to this glassing spot like he found it on the map and and there was and gary helping navigate through and helping me with the shot process and helping find like totally a group effort i was just lucky one that pulled the trigger there first and and put the kill shot on him but it was uh it was super super cool cool experience yeah it's hard to it's hard to beat and hard to explain unless you've done it but when you kill a species that you haven't laid your hands on before it's just a completely different experience. Yeah. Like, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about, like sprinting towards an animal. Cause I still do it for, and I always laugh at myself when I'm doing it like antelope hunting. I shoot an antelope 300 yards and I'm like running the whole way. Yeah. I saw him drop, but I'm just like, just so excited yeah. to get up to it or whatever. And it's, I don't know. It yeah. just adds to the excitement, I guess. Oh, it definitely does. And, and, and it's cause I've never shot a bear. So like, and then you go up to it and it's like, holy cow like where do i start yeah like what am i gonna do and we're we're taking some photos and stuff of it but like so i'm setting my camera up on tripod it's like blowing over from the wind and the rain and everything's getting soaked and we're yeah i luckily so here's another lesson learned for everybody especially during spring bear hunts but really any mountain hunt bring rain pants too rain jackets definitely a must rain pants uh i hadn't been carrying them up to that point 
And Ash was talking to Trevor from Sitka and he was just like, man, they don't weigh nothing. Like I have the dew point system. The whole system weighs like 16 ounces. And I'm like, you're right. Like throw it in there. So I threw him in and luckily I threw him on right before. Cause for a windbreak one, because it was yep. so windy and you're getting, you know, 30 mile per hour gusts up there and it's crazy. And then two, we were laying in the mud and that spring seep. And that was just nice to stay a little bit dry oh, yeah. <laughs> while that was happening. I mean, just, just for the windbreak alone, they're worth it. Yeah. Because if anybody, if you haven't hunted Montana, the wind blows all the time. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not like it blows anywhere else. It can be yeah. a gust of 60, 70 miles an hour sometimes. Yeah. So it's like having that Crazy. block, it just holds that heat in for you and doesn't, because I mean, anybody knows that if you're in the wind and you don't have something that's windproof, it's just going to suck that heat right out. Yeah. Of yeah. And that, and and I, I guess I'll do a little bit of a tangent here about some of the, that gear. Like we're talking about windproof stuff, like, and not even just the Gore-Tex jackets. Like, so uh, I had Sika's Jetstream vest that I wore for most of the hunt, which is windstopper piece. Excellent. I love vests. Like just cutting that wind, yep. being able to, to wear that. Um, had another piece that I'll be able to talk about here shortly. It's a new piece from them um, that was really breathable, added some insulation to it. And then I had the Jetstream jacket on some of the colder days with the pit vents so you can still hike with it if you need to. And normally I'd pack it in, but it was it was really nice. But I, I ran the uh, – I'll have another video coming out on that. But I had the Equinox Guard, which is their turkey pants, uh, basically the Kelvin – uh, light down three quarter zip puffy pants um, that I would throw on while I was glassing the dew point rain pants. Then I'd have uh, just the core lightweight hoodie or the um, Equinox guard hoodie. I had both of those um, with me on this trip. And then that uh, other piece that I, again, I can't talk about. It's an active insulation layer um, to go over the top and the jet stream. And then my Kelvin, Kelvin Aerolite hoodie, which is like the puffy jacket and the dew point jacket. It sounds like a lot. I was just going to say that. It sounds like a lot, but if you haven't hunted out here, I mean, we even saw it here today at the house. Yeah. I mean, we go out in the morning and it's like 60 degrees and then... Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other it provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. 
I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. An hour later, you have snowflakes falling and it's it's dropped down to 30. Then it goes back. Like So it's the the weather varies so much and could you get away with without some of that probably but it sure makes it a hell of a lot nicer having it yeah it, like <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and and yeah it it made a it made a world of difference like gary was wanting puffy pants really bad like as we got later in this trip as i'll talk about but that that was i, I don't like wearing base layers under my pants because i just like i get hot in my legs for some reason so i like just uh just my pants and yeah, you use your pants as the base layer yeah basically and then just toss that stuff over the top but um so it's raining it's you know hailing doing all this stuff and we got this bear there and uh so we drag it underneath the pine tree to start skinning it but again never did this before it's a different animal it's pretty similar to a deer when you're thinking about it like but so i want to take the whole hide out which is actually a requirement i believe in montana is having the whole hide um or maybe it's just you just have the the head attached to the hide okay that's all it is but i i wanted the whole hide because i wasn't sure if i was going to make a rug or well yeah and that's the difference with bear and any other animal is like the the trophy aspect of it is that hide because that yeah. hide's beautiful. I mean, especially you got a nice black bear, like like jet black, jet black. Yeah, where a lot of them out here are the color phase, which that's a trophy in itself. But it's just, it's. I mean, you can't beat a black, perfectly black hide like that. Yeah. So like we had to basically flipped it on the back, and I went up the stomach. So I was going to do the gutless method, which is what we did. But went up this the stomach here and got up to the chest and actually ran that all the way up to underneath the chin. Um, cause I wasn't planning on doing a shoulder mount with it. Uh, you know, again, I was planning on either that or rug. And then I went out underneath the armpits up until you hit the pad of the paw, rung it around on the inside of it. So you could keep the, the whole paw in there and then tried to find that joint, which I wasn't going to find that joint. Gary was able to find it on the two that he did and get it and break it off basically with his knife. Dustin had this little tiny saw with him. So I used that to cut <laughs> the bone on the other pieces, basically laid it all out, took the quarters off, took the rear hams, took the, the front shoulders off, put them in game bags, hung them in the tree and then flipped it on its stomach and used the hide as like, you're basically your garbage bags. So your meat's not getting dirty. Yeah. Um, flip it over, got the back straps out of it. And you know, there's obviously like you see a lot of stuff from like Clay Newcomb and stuff talking about bear fat and all that different stuff. Well, this bear had no fat. Yeah, he Spring just got, bear. he just woke up from living off his fat for a few months. Yeah, there's no <laughs> fat. So like I was like, Where, where's this fat at? He's talking about you know. So it wasn't any fat. So it's basically like you would with a deer elk and getting that stuff off of it and any meat that we could get, any other scraps, we threw it in the game bags, and. um so that was basically how we did it and then cut the head off. Well, it was, the head was still attached to the hide, but basically cut it off up towards the base of the neck and rolled up the hide. And that hide with the head on it weighed as much as two of the quarters did yeah. the meat. So luckily Dustin was there to help pack out because he took two of the front quarters. Gary took two hind quarters and I took the hide and the head. And they were all pretty equal as far as weight and being just heavy and it's awkward trying to carry. Yeah. Uh, it's really awkward trying to carry that, that stuff. So, um, that was, that was pretty awesome to get that all done. And, but I definitely felt like a newbie on, 
on skinning and and doing all that with a bear. It's just different because they're not they aren't like a deer elk like build yeah. wise, and that's yeah I don't know it's just I mean the basics apply but it's just different. Yeah, yeah, the basics do apply. If you know how to do a deer or an elk or anything, you can figure this out. It's just and it, it doesn't matter how many videos you watch online stuff. Unless you have one you can download in the field, you don't remember all of it. You yeah. kind of got to go with the flow and figure it out as you go. And I mean, if you're like me, the last thing I want to do when my hands are all bloody cutting something up is be watching a video on my phone. No. <laughs> Cuz well, it's and I I will say that little saw he had, I want to say Outdoor Edge made it. It's like like super lightweight, tiny. It's not like the best cutting saw, you yeah. know, bone saw or anything, but it does just enough. And I think that was a useful tool to have, like even up at the head, you know, trying to get through that spinal column a little bit. Yeah. And again, maybe if you're really good, you can find those joints, but it was kind of difficult. Um, so we got that out and we were all dying of hunger at that point. You know, we hadn't eaten since breakfast. And so we grabbed a couple snacks, loaded up the packs and, Gary had drank all his water by that point, so he didn't have any. Um, I had a little bit, and we just—it was all downhill pack out, but it was—that's the worst. Oh my god! And Gary, <laughs> the one day Gary forgot his tracking poles, hilarious. <laughs> he, yeah, he didn't have his tracking poles, um, so we went down, and for the most part, it was pretty open, but we did get in some deadfall and trying to get through that. A couple big creek crossings that with the snow runoff was getting pretty deep and slippery, and trying to get across that, but. I think it was a little over three miles back to the truck um, and got back and that felt good. I mean, I felt good. Like I, I felt good on the pack out and everything. And I was using on this, on this hunt, I had um, a stone glacier Evo 4056 pack. Um, I like that pack. It's pretty light. I started using it last year. Um, I, so how I got it was I didn't buy it. I, I didn't get it from Stone Glacier either. I did something for backcountry hunters and anglers uh, a year and a half ago, and they uh, just sent me a pack as like for doing some work for them. And I was like, oh, this is cool, but it was pretty simple, and I didn't really, I wasn't super big fan of it at first. And then as I start got to use it, I kind of kind of liked it. So mm-hmm. I was actually going to try out Seek Outside has some packs. I was going to try one out in this hunt, but I didn't get it in time. So I am, I'm playing around with a bunch of different packs. As you know, we, you and I always do that. You yeah. have a Kafaru that you like a lot, which yeah. I had a Kafaru forever. So they're all good. I like my, my sick of mountain haulers. I just like changing it up and playing with different things. And I was pretty impressed with this pack. I will say it's bloodstained to hell and back now, but that bear was bleeding out his nose all over the back of the pack. So <laughs> yeah, it makes me look badass, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially <laughs> when the blood's, when you forget to clean it and it's yeah. like a year and a half, two years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and our, so well, we talked a lot about gear on here, so I might as well just kind of break down like my rifle setup. So if you remember the caribou hunt I did or my whitetail hunt a couple years ago, or I shot a uh, big rifle buck, same gun. It's a Bergera. Uh, Premier Highlander 300 Win Mag, and I got the Maven RS2 rifle scope on the top of it. Just simple. You actually told me to get that scope versus some of the more complex ones because of my lack of understanding of long range shooting and some of the more yeah. complex. And uh, if you don't mind, I want to just say something about that real quick. Like, yeah. don't um, get to your, don't buy the most expensive, best scope you can find, I guess, in that sense right off the bat, like get something to your skill level. Um, even me who I'm 
I would consider myself very familiar with guns. Like that's my full-time job working on them and all that, but I don't do distant shooting a lot. Not yet. I'd love to get into it. So my scopes on my hunting rifles are very basic. Like I have elevation adjustments. That's it. Um, but yeah, if don't get something with a crazy reticle that has, that's going to confuse the hell out of you. Like get a simple reticle, simple scope. If you're not familiar with distance shooting, you got to get that range time to get that kind of dialed in and figured out yeah no i think that's i think that's a really good point and i think that you know i learned a lot from gary on this hunt yeah with him knowing long range shooting better than anybody i know um but so i I would like to change that scope out at some point maybe put that on just a specific deer hunting rifle perfect whitetail scope yeah perfect whitetail scope and and for most of the western stuff like i said but put something on there but learn it like yeah but get time behind the gun as gary said in the last podcast like he talked a little bit about that long range shooting is getting that time behind the gun and understanding how things react and how the how to use these different things and what moas are and what mills are and all these different you know terms that get thrown around but you don't really understand it and i wasn't a person that understood it enough to to need anything else and that scope is crystal clear it's high quality took a lot of beating as you were when i brought my gun in here today to clean it you looked at it and you're like what the hell did you do i've never seen a scope lens that dirty i mean there was like dried grass and mud in there I don't know what, I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> I got into some stuff, you know, and, uh, I'm pretty sure it was that way when I shot too, but, uh, <laughs> gotta get some covers on that. I know I do need some scope covers, but, um, yeah, we, I, I love that setup, that gun setup and everything was pretty, pretty legit. That 300 wind mag suite, Gary was running a Brigera also. I think he had like the mountain, mountain rifle or something. It's a yeah, little bit lighter. Fiber stock, 300 PRC, which is an amazing cartridge. Yeah. Definitely need, with both you guys had muzzle brakes, which are hard on the ears, but easy on the shoulder. Oh yeah. And yeah. Well, I was worried. So it's funny. Cause like, you know, you never hear the gunshots when they go off, you know, cause when you're shooting at an animal because, but it still doesn't mean they're not hurting your ears. You don't but, hear yours, but you hear the guys next to yours. Yeah. But <laughs> so I have these, I have these, uh, molded like ear pieces that go in I, decibels. Yeah. Makes decibels. Them. And, um, and I was like, I need to put these in, you know, and Carrie's like, don't worry about it. Like, we, you know, we need to, you know, do this, which I understood, but I was like a little bit worried, you know, because like that gun with those muzzle brakes are freaking loud. Yeah. But we were an open, open country in that spot. We weren't in the timber tight. So I didn't hear it. Like I didn't yeah. hear the guns go off. My ears might tell me about it when it starts ringing on the way home. But, uh, yeah, those decibels are pretty sweet though. Like I used them when I shot my caribou and my buck. Um, I had them in because you can still hear everything on the outside. Yeah, not uh, as much as it's not like not having anything, but you still can hear some yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you can't wear them all day or nothing. Yeah, like it's not uh, practical. But um, as a former health and safety person, like I think about those things a little bit and understand what noise damage can do to your ears. As you being in the military and having damaged ears. Yeah, my ears they. I don't know. It's frustrating because yeah. I spent like almost seven years around jet engines that were always whining and yeah, it's not, you don't, you want to protect your hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. Um, trying to think if there's any other like gear items that were important, like that were really like uh stand out to me on the hunt. Well, Garmin and reaches always have those yeah, with me. You, you have one. Um, I have one. I talked Tim into getting one like, couple days before the trip because he didn't have one and he's like i've been putting this off for too long i need to uh, i talked into a buddy at work and to get in one because it's just there's just such a 
I don't know what they run now at 350 bucks. Something like something that. Something like that. Regardless, it's such a cheap insurance program. And it's not even like everybody thinks about hitting that SOS button. It's not even that. It's just being able to tell somebody where you're at. So if something happens and nothing in like they don't hear from you, or if you live in an area where you know people, if you get your vehicle stuck or you have a vehicle issue, being able to send that text out of service and yeah. say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is the problem I'm having. And like that can save you such a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. It's just... And you see, yeah, you see, because it's, you can, you can choose whether you want to send the location or not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sending that out, being able to have it. I take I always, mine fishing. Every time I go fishing, every time I go hunting. It's always on me. I keep yeah. it in my vehicle, like, and I'll just like turn down, like I'll pay the annual plan and then I'll like have unlimited messages during like big hunts. And then the rest of the year I'd go down the basic, it's like five bucks a month. And I just have it there, like five free text messages in case something happens out of service, which I'm out of service a lot. Yeah. So that was a really nice, um, add on to have, which I've used one now for like four or five years. So I've had, had it for a while. Um, and I had Gary, I had a bigger model, the Montana 750. It's a little bit big to backpack with. It's more of like a vehicle GPS that has in reach built into it. Mm-hmm. I let Gary borrow that. So then when we'd split up, we could, you know, kind of message each other back and forth or if, you know, one needed to go down for something, you know, just be able to keep uh, understanding of locations. And what I'll do is like, I'll go into the Spartan Forge app and say with our camp with Trevor, we were out of service, but I didn't know exactly where we would be camping at. So he knew to come in, like we backpacked in, I copied the coordinates in Spartan Forge and pasted them even though you can, even though it sends the location with it, that's an easy way that he gets it on his phone. He can copy and paste it into his hunting app yeah. and then have that pin dropped right where you're at and to be able to do it. So that made that really nice and easy, I guess. Yeah, definitely. To be able to have that. So that was a, that was a cool piece of, piece of gear that, that I had on that hunt. Um, I'm trying to think what else, if there was anything else new I tried or anything, um, Still love the Sika Aerolite sleeping bag. Being able to have your arms come out of it. again, it looks funny. Does um, look funny, but, it, but very it keeps, practical. Yeah, very practical. The first those. time you crawl out of your sleeping bag to get dressed in the morning when you're freezing. Well, I didn't have that problem because I have a wood stove rolling. But yeah. the first time you do that, you're gonna wish you could just stay in that sleeping bag a little longer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I totally totally agree with that but um the other thing and i did another video that'll come out on youtube justin recorded a bunch of short videos so we didn't film this as a like a a film of the hunt but we did a lot of like short videos and one of the things that i had was like mapping and you know make no making sure you download all the areas offline so like whether you're using spartan forge or any other maps making sure that you have those downloaded offline but also understanding that your phone can die or something can happen and having backup yeah so i have this garmin tactics uh delta solar watch on that has mapping i marked a waypoint at our camp it's a small screen to look at but in a pinch you can get back yeah you know and then the inreach has the mapping and the app on it so like i had three things but all of those extra things like this watch does a lot of other stuff for me tracks my heart rate tracks my blood oxygen altitude all these different things time you know obviously and inreach has the messaging ability but things that can act as multiple yeah cover uh, multiple areas multiple areas so it's not just carrying extra dead weight um yeah. so to speak so that was that was something that um you know an area like this we did get service up high so like when we were up glassing super high i got cell service to be able to use but for most of the trip you didn't have it yeah so that was that was a good thing anything you can think of from your aspect that uh you thought was like on a spring bear hunts like a really valuable piece of gear 
Um, honestly, not really. Uh, I, I've kind of, I've run the same gear for a while now. I've kind of got my system pretty well dialed in, but I, one thing I did really like this time around was the gators just because it was when you did go through Uh, snow, I was going to, that's another great aspect. When you did go through that high snow that like was in those shadowed areas, it didn't melt off yet. Like not getting the snow in your boots makes a big difference. Yeah. And then also it acts like something that's not often talked about is it acts as a windbreak. So when you're glassing on that ledge or on that rock outcropping or whatever, and the wind's blowing that keeps your calf in down from that, still warm and like you're not sucking that heat out and all that which i mean that makes a big makes a big difference because that first night i didn't have any base layer or any puffy pan or anything and i was freezing yeah if i didn't have my uh kafaru would be out of it in real trouble yeah <laughs> well and and the gator thing is a good point so you and i both have the the sickest storm front gators they go up to just below the knee and they're gore-tex so they're windproof they're waterproof but so yeah, there's that windbreak aspect of it. There's the creek crossings, there's the snow. And the other thing is shale and dirt and yeah. bugs and ticks. Like we were climbing up that one rock face and it's just like rocks coming down you trying to, and trying to keep sticks out of your boots. And cause if you're wearing like lower hikers, like I had my crispy Colorados that I wore most of the trip, I wore the Thors a few days too, but like all that stuff was like a big, yeah. um, especially if you're using a lower boot. That yeah. makes it, I mean, just for the sticks in general. Yeah. Like, I mean, I had some of the old, is it the old Ascent Gators? Yeah. The yep. old sick Ascent ones. And I've used those with like running shoes up in the mountains just to keep rocks out and stuff like yeah. that. When we were living in Colorado, it was, I mean, their Gators are super underrated. Yeah. There's, yeah, such a good tool to be able to have and use. Um, so, and then that, that just to kind of transition a little bit here, that next day, um, well that night we got back to camp, Dustin cooked us up an awesome meal. He loves cooking and I love that he loves cooking. So that was cool and, um, good meal. And we we're like, we're going to get after it next morning. We got up and we were, we were hurting pretty good. Like, you know, days of doing eight to 10 mile days and then pack out. But we're like, we're going to go up in the morning. Me and Gary are like, we're going to hike up in, we're going to find, um, we're going to find another bear. We hiked all the way up into the spot and, we're taking ibuprofen because we're freaking hurting bad, you know? And, um, so it gave us this false sense of, I don't know, feeling good. So we get up there and my inReach of checking the weather on it, another aspect of the inReach. And it's like heavy snow, heavy snow, heavy snow, every hour wind, you know, wind warnings, 40, 50 mile per hour gusts. I'm like, this doesn't look good, Gary. And it's like sunny at that point we get up and it's, the wind is just hammering us, but we found this spot. We tucked in these trees and it was just, so we st- we built a little fire there, which warning building a fire normally isn't good in the mountains, but it was so wet and there's snow all around us. Like we weren't worried about the the fire warnings. We had, we built walls around it. So the wind wasn't affecting it and blowing it all over. So we had precautions in place, but that gave us something to do all day. Cause we got there way too early to glass all day. Um, and we were just like, just fine and sticks to just like build this little fire just enough like the original tv the fire yeah and i wish i would have brought my insulated crispies because it was so cold like it never got out of the 30s that day and my feet get cold easily like the rest of my body was warm i had my puffy stuff on i had my wind layers on like i was good upper body but my my feet were getting cold so uh heating them up next to the fire made made that nice and um then finally it was like seven o'clock at night or maybe it was six me six o'clock at night and the snow's just coming down heavy and it's windy and 
I'm like, Gary, I don't think this is good. I think we're getting a lot of snow. Like I said, I'll stay here till dark. I said, I am concerned getting my truck out of this basin. Like it was, um, a four wheel drive trail and some like kind of going on some cliff faces and some muddy stuff. And I was like a little bit concerned. Um, and he made the call. He's like, let's go back and I'll just hike up from camp. Um, so luckily we did it when we did because we got dumped on by like, I don't know, well over a foot of snow. Yeah. Something that people don't realize coming from out East, like the weather patterns out here in mountain ranges. When I was driving in, I was in clear in a million. You could see everything like no weather at all. But as I'm driving in, I can just see where you guys are at, and it's, you get just getting dumped on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't even see the mountain. It's because uh, it was just all in a cloud, basically. And, yeah. Yeah, it was bad. You came in. That, yeah, you came in that night, and you got to hunt with us last hour. We just walked up, I don't know, a quarter mile from camp and just sat on this clearing. And um, it was like, we felt like we were deer hunting in December in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like, it was snowing so hard. And we were just kind of laughing about it because it was just terrible. And went back to camp and you fired up your wood stove and we sat in there for a while. Then went over to my tent and the snow was building up on the sidewalls because it was running down, which actually added a little bit of insulation, kept the airflow out of the bottom of it. And um, we put all our layers on in our sleeping bag to go to bed that night. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, you had the wood stove going all night. <laughs> Mine was nice and toasty. Yeah, but we, we stayed warm with our, you know, wearing your puffy gear and stuff in your sleeping bag. And the thing I, all oh, the other piece of gear, I got to write it in my notes yet. Gary had down booty socks. Yeah, I bet that to would wear be. in the sleeping bag. Boom. Those <laughs> things are magical. They don't fit well in the Crocs unless you get oversized Crocs, but, uh, they were, they were pretty sweet. And cause my feet would get cold in the sleeping bag. I was the only thing when it got down that cold, you know, yeah. that, that bag is a 30 degree bag. You layer up the rest of your body's good, but and there's enough room in that sleeping bag. You can layer up. It's not like a tight mummy bag. It's got some room in it. But, uh, yeah, we woke up that next morning and Gary had to leave to go to the airport basically. And, and I was like, Kurt, you want to continue to hunt? You're like, I'm good. Cause yeah, I mean, at that point we had where we were at at lower elevation, we had almost 10 inches of snow Yeah, and it was still complete blizzard. Didn't, there was no signs of it slowing up. The forecast was, it was going to do that all day. So where we were at compared to where we were going to go to hunt, they probably got another six to eight inches. Yeah. So it was like, we really want to trek through the snow with the chance. I, and we're road tripping across the United States back home to Pennsylvania in the yeah. next couple, like tomorrow actually. Yeah. So it was like a lot of factors going into it. My freezer's full. I'm like, I don't care about yeah. my tag tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, yeah, we, we were like, all right, let's, and we had to pack up all this wet gear. So we came home, we spent all day today just drying gear out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a wreck, but awesome trip overall. I mean, Miriam's, you got a Miriam's, I got a black bear, like. I don't know what else you'd ask you, for. 70 degrees to 20 degrees. Yeah. You had all 75 the- degrees to about 15 degrees, really. Yeah. I mean, there was big weather was t- pattern changes. Hiking and- in for my bear, I was in a t shirt. So it was like, wow. Like, it was a great, typical mountain hunt, hard seven days in the mountains, took till day six to kill that bear. Like, it was a grind. It was hard, but uh, so fulfilling when that yeah. happens. So fulfilling. And it, I kept telling myself, and I do this all the time, it only takes one. It takes one bear to find one animal to find one thing to happen right to change the whole trip and you just got to have that attitude yeah it went from yeah it went from like slow not seeing anything to there's a bear and then the next day you went and killed it so it's like and being able to stay on a glassing knob for that long 
to that last get place. to those glass. Because that's the other thing that's hard. I mean, it it sucks at a at an aspect is staying on a glassing knob that late. You're hiking back under a headlamp. Yeah, and that's just through some like not easy terrain. Yeah, a lot of exactly. Times. So it's there is that little bit of a. I feel like, and I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes being like, yeah, I'm just gonna head out a little early so I can get back to the truck when I'm at home, you know. Um, so yeah, it's staying out that little extra minute or extra 10, 15 minutes yep. can make all the difference. Definitely. Well, cool. I think, uh, I think we're going to end this one here and, um, maybe you'll get to hunt a little bit in Pennsylvania with me. You're driving back to visit the family and got a couple of days of Turkey left. So who knows? Maybe we'll try to get after it. Yeah. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. Maybe get some ticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Thanks again, Kurt, and uh, thanks everyone for listening here. Uh, as always, appreciate it. If you would want to get on wherever you're listening or watching, uh, give a rating and review. Helps out a ton. I, uh, I greatly appreciate it. So we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.